بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so this is lesson number 9 in our series of lessons on the 40 hadith pertaining to the excellence or the virtue of la ilaha illa allah the declaration la ilaha illallah which enters a person into islam and so in the previous uh, lessons we looked at a hadith were that which were generally centered around the issue of a person coming close to death to the end of his life and uttering this kalima and uh, in the previous lesson we looked at an issue uh, from the hadith of Usama bin Zaid radiyallahu anhu in which he killed a man a polytheist during a battle in which the man at the point of being subdued and about to be killed he quickly said ashhadu an la ilaha illallah and despite that Usama bin Zaid killed the man and then this went back to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as we saw in hadith he severely reprimanded and rebuked Usama bin Zaid and from this hadith we took a new number of uh, important benefits uh, in relation to the great status of this kalima and the fact that we take people upon the zahir that which is outward and apparent from them that which they display in their speech and their actions and that the secrets which are inside Allah alone knows what they are and we also indicated from this hadith to show the difference between the khawarij the extremists the terrorists in the in the sense that this hadith indicates if you look at this hadith it indicates that in this situation the context tells you that the man is you know he's got to be lying when he says la ilaha illallah because he's the context forces you to believe that he's only doing this to protect his own life uh, but despite that despite the circumstances we see that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam severely reprimanded usama bin zaid and so this from this we take also a distinction between what the khawarij the extremists the terrorists are upon in the sense they find you know any suspicion uh, in order to Uh, declare muslims to be non non muslims non believers and also to kill them you know mercilessly so we took that benefit from that hadith as well and also the hadith regarding abu talib at the point of death in which the messenger of allah sallam tried to give him da'wah to invite him to islam however due to the advice of evil company bad company he died upon disbelief never numerous benefits we took from that hadith as well so we're going to continue today inshallah ta'ala and we'll see that the next series of ahadith we find that some of them 
are connected to the issue of shifa'ah and the issue of hellfire and being saved from hellfire. So all the hadith are generally connected around this particular issue. So the first hadith, and this is hadith number 27. 27 out of the 40. Bab annaha sababun li shafa'atin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the chapter heading, chapter heading, that it, meaning the kalima, is a cause for attaining the intercession of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أسعد الناس بشفاعتي من قال لا إله إلا الله خالصا من قلبه أو نفسه رواه البخاري From Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه From the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Who said that the happiest of people the most pleased of people to receive my intercession is the one who said, La ilaha illallah. There is none that has the right to be worshipped except Allah. Sincerely, khalisan min qalbihi. Sincerely and purely from his heart or from his, from his soul, from his self. So from this hadith there are a number of uh, benefits. First of all, the obvious benefit in that it indicates the excellence of the statement La ilaha illallah because the one who says it will receive the intercession of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the day of judgment. The second point is obviously it establishes that the Prophet ﷺ will intercede. So it, we, we as he established his shafa'ah, <coughs> his intercession on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Thirdly, it mentions that the happiest or the most pleased of people to receive that intercession will be the one who is a mu'min, mukhlis, mukhlis. Because the condition here mentioned is ikhlas which is utmost sincerity. And fourthly, it also indicates that the one who is not from the people of La ilaha illallah, the one who is not from the people who actually says La ilaha illallah, or the one who says it but he's not mukhlis, meaning the hypocrite, the munafiq, who just re repeats it with the tongue but it's not sincerely from his heart, then this, the, 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 the intercession of those who intercede will not benefit them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. It is only for the people of Tawheed, for the people who say this kalima sincerely and purely from the heart, and then obviously then that follows on in terms of their actions as well. And finally, the fifth benefit indicates the importance of Al-Ikhlas, the importance of sincerity to Allah in uttering this statement. And not only this statement, but also in one's worship, because that is what necessarily follows after a person makes the statement of La ilaha illallah. So this hadith has alluded to then the issue of shafa'ah. And the issue of shafa'ah, the issue of intercession, is a great and mighty topic in Islam. And we see that it is given uh, tremendous attention 
in the various books of creed because historically speaking numerous people they came and they erred they fell into mistakes on the issue of intercession and there are a number of connected issues that all of them they, 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 are, they work together they are connected together and it relates to the issue of iman itself the issue of faith iman what is iman does it increase does it decrease and connected to this is the issue of intercession <coughs> and this is because there were some groups who came and they said that a person who falls into a major sin for example he steals he gambles he fornicates he tells a lie that this person has abandoned all of iman faith has left him completely this person now is a disbeliever he has left the fold of islam on account of a major sin and because of that he will not receive the intercession of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or the other types of intercession on yawm al-qiyamah which means that if a person enters into hellfire he will never be taken out of it right but this is incorrect because we know from the texts of the quran and the sunnah that people will be taken out of the hellfire on account of intercession the intercession of the prophets or the angels or the righteous or the very forms and types of intercession so when we affirm intercession what are we doing we are indirectly we are refuting those people who hold this incorrect belief and they are the khawarij the khawarij the kharijites and likewise the mu'tazila the mu'tazila these two groups basically they denied the intercession on yawm al-qiyamah and the reason for that is because they said anyone who falls into a major sin falls into a major sin then this person is a disbeliever he is a disbeliever and he will reside in the hellfire eternally now on the other hand there were another group of people and they are the murji'ah and the murji'ah we have spoken of them a number of times in these lessons and we said that basically these people they restricted faith iman to be only something which is in the heart and deeds righteous deeds are not essential to iman they are not part of iman to begin with because iman as they claimed is only what is in the heart and so there were numerous groups amongst them there were numerous groups amongst them from the you know the the mild to the moderate to the very extreme and some of their statements were obviously that since iman is only what is in the heart it is just a belief that you hold then it can't increase or decrease it cannot increase or decrease also that and the, this is from the, the the more extreme amongst them they say that anyone who says the kalima la ilaha illallah in whom belief is established in the heart it is impossible for him to enter the hell, hellfire he cannot enter the hellfire at all and this also is incorrect right so just like those people said that a person who commits a major sin will be in the hellfire forever never coming out of it therefore they denied intercession likewise there are these people who say that the person who merely believes in the kalima in his heart 
that it is impossible for him to enter into the hellfire. And this also is incorrect. Because a person, you know, despite affirming this belief, he can be sinful, he can commit sins, he can disobey Allah And if his sins have not been forgiven in the life of this world, or in the barzakh, through the various ways and means, tawbah, istighfar, other righteous deeds, calamities, hardships, the punishment in the grave, if he comes without being purified of his sins, then if Allah wills, he will punish him, if Allah wills, he will forgive him. So to say this statement that it is impossible for that person to enter into the hellfire just because he says, La ilaha illallah, this now is incorrect. This is also incorrect. And so you can see clearly from this that the topic of shafa'ah, the topic of intercession, is something by which both of these groups are refuted, which is why the topic of intercession is a great and mighty topic, and why you see it repeatedly in the various books of Aqidah from the very from the very beginning, the issue of the intercession, it's connected to the Murji'ah and the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila on this issue of Iman and Takfir and a sinful Muslim. And likewise, you see it discussed in the various books of Tawheed in the later times. So in the early books of Creed, the Aqidah, written by the Salaf and those after them, you see them discussing this topic because it related to the Murji'ah, the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila. And then in the later times when you see uh, when shirk came and spread and became widespread in the ummah, we see the scholars also speaking about this issue of shafa'ah because uh, shirk was connected to this belief of people being able to give intercession to others without Allah's permission and without Allah being pleased with either the one interceding or the one who is being interceded for. Right? So this topic became a controversial topic. And so for that reason you see in the books of the sheikhs of the da'wah, you know, uh, again it is given tremendous, uh, 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 tremendous discussion. So basically in a nutshell to summarize this issue, uh, we should know that uh, shafa'ah or intercession is something that belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal. وَلِلَّهِ الشَّفَاعَةُ جَمِيعًا To Allah belongs all of shafa'ah. To Allah belongs all of shafa'ah. And Allah Zawajal, He is the one who gives permission for anyone to be able to intercede. And it is unlike what takes place in the world where people are able to intercede at will with another person or with a minister or a king without his permission. And I think we discussed this in, 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 in the previous lessons as well. But in, 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 a, in a nutshell, basically, Allah Zawajal, He must give His permission on Yawmul Qiyamah for anyone to be able to intercede. مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ Ayatul Kursi who is, who, who is the one who can intercede with Him except after His permission? Likewise, وَلَا تَنْفَعُ الشَّفَاعَةُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا لِمَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ Intercession will not benefit anyone with him except for the one for whom he has given permission. And وَلَا يَشْفَعُونَ إِلَّا لِمَنِ ارْتَضَى They will not intercede except for the one with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. 
And so these ayat, you see, they establish two conditions. Number one, Allah actually giving permission for a person to intercede. And number two, Allah being pleased with the one for whom intercession is being made. These conditions have to be fulfilled before anyone can intercede and before anyone uh, can receive intercession. And so this is this is what be, this belongs to Allah as shafa'ah belongs to Allah. And so this, as we said, is completely unlike what we see in the world. In the world, we see various types of intercessions. First of all, intercession. The word intercession as shafa'ah it literally means ad-du'a, ad-du'a. This is the meaning of as shafa'ah. And this is why in the Sunnah, you see that when the people pray the janaza prayer. For the deceased, you see that the word uh, ash-shafa'ah is used in those texts. For example, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, who said, "Ma min mayyitin yusalli alayhi ummatun min al-Muslimin yablughuna mi'a, kulluhum yashfa'una lahu illa shufi'u fihi." Reported by Muslim, that there is no person who dies over which. A nation, a group of Muslims, pray over him. Their number reaching one hundred, one hundred. All of them making intercession for him, except that their intercession is accepted, is granted for him. So here the word shafa'a is used. Yet what we see them doing in 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 the funeral prayer is they are simply making du'a for the deceased. They are making du'a for the deceased. So, du'a simply means to petition Allah, to ask Allah on behalf of someone else. On behalf of someone else, a third party. This is simply the meaning of ash-shafa'ah. And uh, ash-shafa'ah means to make something even. To make something even. So, when there is one person making a request from Allah, he's just one person. Then when another person comes along and he now requests on behalf of that first person, now we have made them into two. Alright? So you see how the, the, the terms are basically connected. Right? This is a shafa'ah. So it is to make dua for someone else. So the shafa'ah, we also, in, the, in fact, another hadith of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, also in Muslim, ma min muslimin yamutu fa yaqoonu ala janazatihi أَرْبَعُونَ رَجُلًا لَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِاللَّهِ شَيْئًا إِلَّا شَفْعَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِيهِ There is uh, no Muslim who dies and 40 people stand over his janazah who do not associate partners with Allah. Meaning they are all people of Tawheed. Except that Allah will grant their intercession for him. So, this is a form of intercession in the world, right? Because Allah has legislated this as a form of intercession. This is legislated in the life of this world. Likewise, there are other types of intercessions which are permissible in the life of this world, in the worldly affairs. For example, a person, maybe uh, he has a need from someone else, a worldly need, a material need. And so he asks someone else who has a position with that person, maybe a family member, a relative, 
you know, and he says, can you go and ask on my behalf? Because more likely, because you have a favor with him or you have a position with him, maybe he's more likely to, you know, uh, accept, you know, your intercession for me. So the person goes and then he intercedes on his behalf. So for example, maybe a job, maybe a job. A person knows he's fit and capable and will benefit, but he's not sure whether the person will give him the job. So he goes and asks another person, and the person goes and intercedes, and on account of that, you know, the, the khair is brought about, and there is benefit for the employee and the benefit for the employer. Right? This is a shafa'a in the worldly sense. All of this is permissible. All of this is permissible. And then there are some types of shafa'a which are, which are haram. For example, let's give an example, where someone is convicted of a crime. There are certain crimes in which the had punishment, when it is established, and, and established upon the person, then shafa'a, meaning to intercede for that person to be forgiven, it is haram. It's not allowed. Right? There are some types of intercession which are unlawful in the worldly sense. Right? So what we see now, we are seeing different categories. We see, for example, shafa'a in the worldly sense, which is a shafa'a hasana, it is permissible, there's benefit in it. There are evil and unlawful types of shafa'a which oppose justice, or which might invalidate the hudud of Allah Azawajal, or which uh, might entail something which involves deception, or lying, or falsehood. All of this is unlawful. Then there is the shafa'ah, which Allah Azawajal has legislated, and made to be from worship, and to be from the ways and means by which the servants benefit in the hereafter. So from those examples is the janaza prayer, Salatul Janaza. It is a legislated type of shafa'a. And likewise, just dua in general. We are recommended to make dua for a brother in his absence. This is also a type of shafa'a. When you make dua for another, then it is, it is a type because a shafa'a is a dua. All of this is in the worldly, uh, in, in, in terms of the world. Then there is also a shafa'a which we've been taught, uh, told and informed in the text that there will be a shafa'a on Yawmul Qiyamah, on the Day of Judgment. Now this shafa'a is the one that these polytheists that they seek. This is the shafa'a that they are seeking. This is what they want. And in order to seek this shafa'a, they seek it in a way which opposes a way which is legislated. What is the way that is legislated in the Sharia? It is that the person who says La ilaha illallah khalisan min qalbihi purely sincerely says La ilaha illallah that there is none which has right to be worshipped except Allah alone. And then he fulfills the obligations and he uh, avoids the, 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 the prohibitions and he worships only Allah alone. Right? He worships no other deity. He calls only upon Allah. He relies only upon Allah. His isti'ana, seeking aid, his istighatha, seeking rescue, all of that is only for Allah. But this person, he's weak, he's sinful, he falls into sins, he you know, fails to make tawbah, he fails to make istighfar, you know, he's short in his good deeds, and he comes on Yawmul Qiyamah as a sinful person. He hasn't been purified of his sins. But... 
he worshipped only Allah alone. He was grateful to Allah for all of the favors and never worshipped other things besides him. This person now will receive the intercession. That intercession that, we've been, that we have been informed will take place on Yawmul Qiyamah. This is the proper way. This is the way that a person will receive intercession. As for the polytheists, the mushrikeen, they believe they have a number of false assumptions which are refuted in the Quran. First of all, they assume that Allah Azawajal, they, they make tashbih, they resemble Allah Azawajal to those who have power and authority in this world. They resemble Allah with those people. And so they presume that intercession with Allah works in the same way with the kings and the people of authority in the life of this world. Like, for example, the kings and then the ministers, right? And so it is presumed that the king or the leader, you know, he needs to be told and informed about the situation of his subject because he himself does not know. And likewise, the ministers can come and they can put pressure upon the king. They can say, look, so-and-so person in so-and-so city or you know, district, you know, they are suffering from such and such thing, uh, poverty or lack of jobs or this, you know, whatever else is in you, you need to do something. And so they put pressure upon the king or the leader. So they're able to put pressure upon you know, the king. Likewise, the king might be such that he fears his subjects or he fears his ministers, he fears a backlash if he doesn't do something. So now he's motivated by fear to respond to the needs of his subjects. All of these things are the, are, are the ways in which the people of, people of authority in the world, how they operate and how they look after the interests of those who are beneath them in power. Likewise, the ministers can come without even seeking permission. They can just come and enter upon the king or the leader and start making intercession. You need to do this, you need to do this, and, and making demands or you know, interceding. They don't need permission. And so all of this is how those with authority in the earth, in the world, this is how they operate. As for Allah, Azza wa Jal, then all of these false presumptions have been negated in the Quran. As you see in the ayat that we read in the Quran, there are numerous ayat also from them. Yawma idhin. يَوْمَ إِذِنْ لَا تَنْفَعُ الشَّفَاعَةُ إِلَّا مَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ الرَّحْمَانُ وَرَضِيَ لَهُ قَوْلًا The day on which intercession will not benefit except the one to whom Ar-Rahman gives permission and with whose speech he is pleased with. So now no one can intercede with Allah. No one can come on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and say, Ya Allah, so-and-so person, forgive him for his sins. No one can do that. No one has the right and the authority and the permission to do that. Except after what? After Allah gives his permission and he is pleased with the one for whom intercession is being made. Meaning that that person must be a, pe a person of, of Tawheed. This is how intercession with Allah works. So this now explains to us the difference between the intercession believed in by the people of Tawheed and the intercession presumed by the people of Shirk. And for that reason, you see, what, what is their Shirk? What is it that they are doing, which means that they are worshipping other than Allah? Well, once they believe falsely that, for example, the prophets will intercede 
and they have the right of their own accord, what do they start doing? They go to the graves, they start making dua, they start invoking, oh so and so, intercede with me, on, uh, intercede for me with Allah on Yawmul Qiyamah. This now becomes a form of dua, you are making dua to a deceased person, you are asking him for something which he has no control or power over. Do you understand? It is similar to when a person comes and says, Oh, so and so, heal my illness. How is he going to heal your illness? He's got no power over your, over your, your body and the ways and the means. He's got no power over the, the ways and means and the mechanisms. How is he going to heal your... It's the same thing. You are asking him to do something for which he has no power or control or authority. And similarly, when you go to a person and say, Oh, so and so, intercede for me. You are asking him for something which belongs only to Allah. Which belongs only to Allah. As we mentioned in the ayah, Say to Allah belongs all of intercession. And uh, secondly, you are presuming that he can just come and, you know, uh, in front of Allah and just intercede as he wills and pleases. This is, this is, you know, this is not correct. So this is the angle from which this is the shirk of the people of shirk. Their presumption about al-shafa'ah is false. And that's why in the Qur'an, there is al-shafa'ah which is affirmed. And there is al-shafa'ah which is negated. So you will see some verses affirming shafa'ah. And there are other verses which are negating shafa'ah. The shafa'ah which is negated is the one presumed by the people of shirk. By the grave worshippers, by those people who presume that shafa'ah works in the same way as it does in the creation. And as for the affirmed shafa'ah, it is the shafa'ah of the people of the sunnah, people of tawheed. They do not ask anyone for shafa'ah, but what they do is they ask Allah to grant them the shafa'ah of the Prophet. So whom are they asking? Are they asking the Prophet for it? Or are they asking Allah to grant them the shafa'ah of the Prophet That's the difference. So we say, for example, after the adhan, the dua for the adhan, we make dua to Allah, that Allah gives the Messenger of Allah the al-maqam uh, al-mahmud, the lofty station. Right? And we, uh, we, uh, we ask Allah to give us the shafa'ah of the Messenger of Allah Who are we asking? We are asking Allah Because to Him belongs the shafa'ah. We are not asking anyone else besides him. So this is the essential difference uh, between the shifa'ah which is established and the shifa'ah which is negated. And then of course on Yom Al-Qiyam we know there are numerous types of shifa'ah that we believe in. Uh, the, you know, the, the great shifa'ah which the Messenger will make for the beginning of uh, judgment and accounting. The shifa'ah for numerous types of people who for example their good deeds and evil deeds are equal or those, for example, who enter the hellfire, or those who are supposed to enter the hellfire, but the shafa'ah stops them from entering the hellfire. Then there are different categories of people who can make the shafa'ah. There are the prophets, there are the angels, and there are the righteous. Then we see even the Qur'an will make the shafa'ah. Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran, will be uh, surahs that will... So many, many things that we, that we know from the text, that intercession will take on various forms and manifestations. So this is hadith number 27. It introduces to us the issue of the shifa'a on Yom Al-Qiyam. The next hadith, hadith number 28, is the hadith uh, 
of Mu'adh bin Jabal radiyallahu anhu and the chapter heading is Bab Tahrimu man qalaha bisidqin ala nar which means that the one who speaks with this kalima with sidq with truthfulness then the hellfire will be prohibited upon him and Mu'adh bin Jabal radiyallahu anhu ala nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam qal ما من أحد يشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمدا رسول الله صدقا من قلبه إلا حرمه الله على النار رواه البخاري. So the messenger of Allah Sallam said, there is no person, there is no one who testifies that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, Sidqan min qalbihi, truthfully from his heart, truthfully from his heart, except that Allah, except that Allah will make the hellfire haram upon him. So now from this hadith we have numerous benefits, a number of benefits. First of all, of course, obviously, the virtue and the excellence of La ilaha illallah in the sense that anyone who brings it on Yawmul Qiyamah with these conditions, Khalisan min qalbihi, we saw in the previous hadith, Sidqan min qalbihi, as we see in this hadith, truthfully, you know, from his, from his heart, then this will be a cause for him being saved from the hellfire. Being saved from the hellfire. And what a tremendous benefit this is secondly that and this is where we have to be careful now we have to understand these hadiths in the correct way we have to understand them in a manner where we oppose the khawarij and the mu'tazila likewise we oppose the murji'ah and we have to understand what is meant in these texts because two things can be meant in these texts, as we shall see. If you look at these various texts, where it says, whoever says, La ilaha illallah, whoever testifies to La ilaha illallah, and then it says, paradise, he will, uh, he will enter paradise, or it says, he will be saved from the hellfire, or hellfire will be made haram for him. The scholars, they explain, in light of all of the other texts, they say, that, when it says that it is haram upon him, two things can be meant. It can either mean that it is haram upon him, it is the hellfire has been made haram upon him to enter it, which is ad-dukhul, ad-dukhul. Or it can mean that it is haram upon the hellfire for that person to remain in it forever, which is al-khulud, al-khulud. So there is ad-dukhul, ad-dukhul simply means to enter, and there is al-khulud, al-khulud means to remain in it forever. So in these texts, two things can, can be meant. It can either be meant that for this individual, this person will not enter the hellfire at all, because entering into it has been made haram upon the hellfire. The hellfire has been prohibited from consuming this person 
Or it can mean that this person, the hellfire, has been prohibited. It is unlawful for the hellfire that this person remains in it forever. And so that's an important distinction. And it returns back to what we said. I want you to try and link this distinction to the issue of the murji'ah and the khawarij and the mu'tazila. Because it refutes both of these groups. Because first of all, it establishes, it affirms that there will be people who enter the hellfire. <coughs> they will be punished for their sins. And iman does decrease because of sins. And so the murji'ah are upon batil in that respect. Because there are people who will be punished in the hellfire. And on the other hand, the text also, because it indicates the prohibition that, 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 that khulud is haram upon the hellfire for, for a person to remain in the hellfire forever. This now is a refutation of the Mu'tazila and the Khawarij. Because these people will be taken out of the hellfire. And their sins will be forgiven. Their major sins will be forgiven. In contrast to what these people say. That these people are disbelievers and in the hellfire for eternity. So we distinguish between Dukhul and Khulud. And within this is also a refutation of the people of falsehood. Just like we saw with the issue of Ash-Shafa'ah. All of this is actually connected to Ash-Shafa'ah, Hellfire entering eternally or you know, coming out. All, all of this uh, is, is all connected. Entering Hellfire, not eternally. And entering it and then being taken out. Uh, all of these are basically connected. Third benefit is that from the shurut, from the conditions of La ilaha illallah, is clearly As-Sidq. As-Sidq, meaning truthfulness. This the hadith clearly indicates it. Just like the previous hadith indicates ikhlas. Because it said, khalisan min qalbihi. This says, sidqan min qalbihi. So this is a condition of la ilaha illallah. And in fact, as we shall see, we see that we can trace many of the conditions of la ilaha illallah to these such a hadith. Because some of them mention ilm, as we shall see. Some of them mention yaqeen, certainty. Some of them mention ikhlas. Some of them mention sidq, as we see in the case of this hadith. And so there are many hadith which comprise many of the, condi- the, the conditions of the kalima la ilaha illallah. So this means that a person is obviously truthful and he's not a munafiq. This opposes the, the hypocrites, the munafiqeen. And we see them mentioned at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ Amongst the people are those who say we believe in Allah on the last day, but they are not believers. They are not really believers. يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٍ فَزَادَهُمْ لَهُ مَرَضًا so these people, they try to deceive Allah and those who believe, but they only deceive themselves, yet they do not perceive it. In their hearts is a disease, so Allah increases them in their disease, and they shall have a painful punishment because of the lies that they used to tell. The lie that they used to tell. So a siddiq is a condition, and it eliminates the people of hypocrisy. Also from the benefits is that it indicates those deceived people who seem to believe that simply expressing the kalima is sufficient. Just to say the kalima by itself, on its own, that this is sufficient. Irrespective of what is going on and taking place in the heart. This is also false. This is incorrect. 
So from this hadith then we should understand that uh, there are people who will enter into hellfire but the hellfire will be prohibited uh, for, uh, from them remaining therein eternally. And this also alludes to the fact uh, from this hadith and also other ahadith that we shall see inshallah that the believers are of various levels in their faith. Are of various levels in their faith. And we'll come back to this topic inshallah uh, in, in a short while. The next hadith is the hadith of Utban radiallahu anhu who said that the messenger of Allah said قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لَنْ يُوَافِي عَبْدٌ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ يَقُولُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ يَبْتَغِي بِهَا وَجْهَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلِيهِ النَّارِ Reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Similar to the previous hadith. So, the Messenger of Allah said that a, 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 a slave on Yawm Al-Qiyamah who comes and you know, he, he basically he says La ilaha illallah yabtaghi biha wajhallah that he is desiring and seeking only the face of Allah except that Allah makes the hellfire haram upon him. So we can see that this is clearly very similar to the previous hadith. A different wording is used. In the previous one, it is speaking about a sidq A sidq meaning that your initial expression of the kalima is truthful. You are genuine and you are truthful. You are not guilty of hypocrisy. Here, which is seeking the face of Allah. يَبْتَغِي بِهَا وَجْهَ Allah. This now is indicative of a person... In his deeds, obviously in the, in the kalima to begin with, he's seeking Allah's face, he's seeking paradise. And in all the righteous deeds that he does, he's, he has ikhlas, he has sincerity, he has purity. He's seeking the face of Allah, nothing else. There is no riya, there's no showing off, there's no sum'ah, there's no wanting to be heard of and be spoken about. All of this is, you know, he, he, his deeds are with the right intention and for the sake of Allah Azza So... Uh, so the benefits are then, first of all, uh, we see that uh, a person, the, the, the hellfire is made haram upon the person who comes like this, you know, with, with uh, seeking the face of Allah. Also, similar to the previous point, that it also indicates this hadith that merely believing that just merely saying the kalama is enough is incorrect. There has to be something more than just merely expressing the kalima. Also, that the hellfire is made unlawful upon the people of Tawheed, either in terms of Dukhul or in terms of Khulud. Right, so same points that we took from the previous hadith, just emphasizing the same points. So, Dukhul or Khulud, this hellfire is made haram if a person comes having sought only the face of Allah Azza wa Jal. Also, the, this, this leads us to the next hadith, hadith number uh, 30. And this is the hadith of Anas bin Malik, radiyallahu anhu, that the Prophet, sallallahu he heard a mu'adhin, a person giving the avan, and he heard him say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Faqala Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kharajta minan nar. Kharajta minan nar. So the messenger of Allah he heard a mu'adhin say, 
I testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. So the messenger of Allah said to him, You have exited, you have, you, you, have, you have come out of the hellfire. You have come out of the hellfire. So this hadith reported by Muslim. This hadith has a number of benefits. First of all, it indicates the excellence of giving adhan. The one who gives the adhan, as we see in other hadith, al-mu'adhinun, atwal nas a'anaqan, yawm al-qiyamah. Those with the longest necks on the day of judgment will be the mu'adhinun, the people used to give the adhan. So the excellence of giving the adhan, the virtue of giving the adhan. Secondly, the excellence of saying La ilaha illallah and that it is a cause or a reason for a person being saved from the hellfire. Why? Because the messenger of Allah said to the mu'adhin Kharajta minan nar. Kharajta minan nar. You have come out of the hellfire. Obviously this is on account of tawheed which he is expressing by way of this kalima La ilaha illallah. And also a benefit, third benefit is that it is permissible to speak whilst the adhan is taking place. This is a fiqh issue that, you know, question arises, are we allowed to speak whilst the adhan is taking place? And the answer is yes. And this hadith is a proof. Because this, it's not something that prevents you from following and repeating what the mu'adhan is saying. You can do that and you can also speak as well. The two things don't contradict. You can follow what the mu'adhan is saying and repeating the words after him. And then in between, if you need to say something, you can speak as well. So this shows the permissibility of doing so. That's hadith number 30. We move to hadith number 31. And this again also is connected to the whole issue of shafa'a, entering the hellfire, khulud, dukhul, levels of the believers. All of this is tied in and this hadith ties it in all very nicely as well. So this hadith is the hadith of Anas bin Malik radiyallahu anhu who said from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said يَخْرُجُ مِنَ النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَكَانَ فِي قَلْبِهِ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ مَا يَزِنُ شَعِيرًا So he said there will be there will you know uh, the one who says La ilaha illallah and in his heart there is a goodness of the weight of a barley seed. A barley seed. Right? So we have different types of seeds and they are different sizes. Some are bigger than others. So the barley seed, a person who comes, he said La ilaha illallah and in his heart the amount of goodness, the khair, is a barley seed's amount. This person will leave the hellfire. He will come out of the hellfire. Then after this he said, ثُمَّ يَخْرُجُ مِنَ النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَكَانَ فِي قَلْبِهِ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ مَا يَزِنُ بُرَّهِ Then they will come out of the hellfire, the one who says, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ and in his heart there is a wheat grain of goodness. A wheat grain amount of goodness. There's still a small amount of goodness. So he was a person of Tawheed, right? He said, La ilaha illallah. Sidqan, Khaliqan, and so on and so forth. So he's a person of Tawheed. 
worshipped Allah. But he only had a wheat grain of goodness. So he will come out of the hellfire. Then he said, ثُمَّ يَخْرُجُ مِنَ النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَكَانَ فِي قَلْبِهِ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ مَا يَزِنُ غَرَّهِ Then they will come out of the hellfire, the one who says, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And in his heart there was only a, like a particles amount. Particles, like a very small, the word ذر, if you look in the various dictionaries, it, it, you know, it can mean, um, it can refer to either a very small, uh, a very small like an ant, uh, a very small insect, a very small type of insect, like an ant, dhar, or it can mean like a particle, a small, small speck or a particle. So, there will be some people with only that amount of goodness in their heart, and they will also be taken out of the hellfire. Rawahu Muslim, reported by Muslim. So, what are the benefits we take from this interesting Hadith, which actually ties in many things that we've discussed in the previous three or four hadiths. So from the benefits then, first of all, is the excellence of Tawheed and how it expiates sins. Tawheed is an expiation for one's sins, because on, a, on account of Tawheed, will these people be taken out of hellfire. That's the thing that took them out of hellfire. So Tawheed expiates sins. Secondly, clearly the one who is a major sinner, these people entered hellfire because they were major sinners. So this is a negation, <coughs> negation of what is believed by the Mu'tazila and the Khawarij that the major sinners will be in the hellfire forever. Look at all of these people, they are of different levels. A barley seed's weight of goodness, a wheat grain's amount of goodness, and a speck, a particle weight of goodness. All of them, different levels, they will come out of the hellfire. Also, this hadith indicates is a proof for the increase and the decrease of iman. Look at all these people, they will come out of the hellfire at different times, indicating that they have been punished for different amount of times. Which means that their Iman was deficient to varying levels. It wasn't all the same. It was deficient to varying levels. And this is a proof of the increase and the decrease of Iman. This is a fundamental principle in our religion. The increase and the decrease of Iman. And this actually brings us to the famous ayah in the Quran that is mentioned by the scholars like Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala in Kitab al-Iman and elsewhere, the ayah which establishes the different ranks of the people of faith, the people of faith themselves. And so this ayah in the Qur'an, Allah Azawajal, he says, ثُمَّ أَوْرَثْنَا الْكِتَابَ الَّذِينَ اصْطَفَيْنَا مِنْ عِبَادِنَا So we made to inherit the book, those of our servants whom we chose. فَمِنْهُمْ فَمِنْهُمْ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ Amongst them is the one who wrongs his own self. He is the ظَالِمْ لِنَفْسِهِ Wrongs his own self. وَمِنْهُمْ مُقْتَسِدْ And amongst them is the one who is moderate in the middle path. وَمِنْهُمْ سَابِكُمْ بِالْخَيْرَاتِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ 
And amongst them is the one who is foremost in doing good deeds. That is the greatest virtue, the greatest excellence. So the scholars, they say that in this ayah, the three ranks of the believers have been mentioned. Right? So, out of this group are the disbelievers. Out of this group are the hypocrites. Right? Who outwardly manifest Islam, but they're hypocrites. All we have left are the people who are genuinely believers. Right? So, in the beginning of the Quran, we have the believers, the hypocrites, disbelievers, and the hypocrites. This is division of mankind. Here in this ayah, we have the division of the believers. So, each of these three, they are explained in the following way. So, the first one, فَمِنْهُمْ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ The one who wrongs his own soul. The one who wrongs his own soul is the one who either falls short in the obligations or he falls into the prohibitions. Right? This is the valim. He's abandoned an obligation or fallen short of an obligation or he's committed something which is haram or unlawful or prohibited. So he's committed a sin. This now is the valim to himself. He's fallen short basically. The muqtasid, the muqtasid is the one who does all of what is obligatory upon him, of which he has knowledge that he is aware of. So he fulfills whatever is the iman that is wajib upon him at that particular point in time. So he falls into, he does all of that. And of course, as you know from previous discussions, the iman that is wajib upon each person, it varies from time to time and place to place. For example, what is wajib upon you now today is something that might increase later on because of knowledge that you acquire. So al-iman al-wajib is something that varies from person to person and place to place. Like we said at the beginning of Islam, there was only tawheed. La ilaha illallah. That was the iman that was wajib. Then the wajibat began to come down. The prayer. Then that became the al-iman al-wajib. Then there came other things. Then that became the al-iman al-wajib. So as Islam was revealed, al-iman al-wajib, it increased and it grew and it you know had with it wajib uh, obligations and prohibitions and so forth so the muqtasid is the one who at every time he is fulfilling all of the obligations that he is aware of that he knows and he keeps away from all that he knows is is haram unlawful and prohibited that's it right so basically he does the, the basics then the third category, وَمِنْهُمْ سَابِقٌ بِالْخَيْرَاتِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ is the one who does the same as the muqtasid. Right? He does all the obligations, he keeps away from all of the prohibitions, but he adds something else. What does he add? He does, he, 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 he does the recommended things, mustahabbat. Those things he's not commanded to do, but he does them. So he does voluntary fasting. He does voluntary prayer, Salatul Duha, and other things like that. He gives voluntary charity, right? He does many other deeds which are, which are not obligatory, but they are additional, right? Likewise, he keeps away from things which are makruh. They're not prohibited, but they are disliked. They're disliked. He keeps away from them as well. This now gives him an extra, he give, he, he's foremost in doing good deeds. Gives him something extra, his iman is more complete and more perfect. So basically every believer, and this is obviously by the fadl of Allah, this, this is a virtue and excellence, and it is by the fadl of Allah. Allah gives 
the servant's success. So this now allows you to see which person are you? Which category do you fall into with respect to these three? Are you a zalimun li nafsi? Are you a muqtasid? And, or are you someone you know, who is so convinced and sure of himself that he is sabiqun bil khayrat? Okay, so each person can make their own judgment and know who or where, you know, where he is on the scale of things. So this ayah uh, establishes for us, is related to this hadith and indicates that people are of various levels. Their iman varies, it increases and it decreases. And so this is the benefit that we take from this hadith as well. The fourth benefit, which is that iman increases and decreases, and that the believers are of different levels and ranks, as per the ayah and as per this hadith. The fourth benefit is, again, an evidence for the shafa'ah. Because these people, when it says they will be taken out, yakhruju min nar how will they be taken out? There are different means by which they will be taken out. They will be taken out by either shafa'ah or after all of shafa'ah has taken place by the pure mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? So this again emphasizes, so we believe in ash-shafa'ah. And the shafa'ah is only for the one with whom Allah is pleased and after he gives permission. After he gives permission. So these are the two conditions. That he will give the prophets and the angels and the righteous, he will say, he will give them the permission to intercede. They cannot speak or do anything before that. And then they will only be allowed to intercede for the one with whom Allah is pleased, with whose speech he is pleased with, and his deeds he is pleased with. The person of Tawheed, that is. The person of Tawheed. Um, and so, another ayah in the Quran is a proof of this. وَكَمْ مِمْ مَلَكٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ لَا تُغْنِي شَفَاعَتُهُمْ شَيْئًا إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنْ يَعْذَنَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ يَشَعُ وَيَرْضَى How many angels are there, in, how many an angel is there in the heavens? whose intercession will not avail anything except after Allah has given permission for the one whom he wills and is pleased with. And is pleased with. So, that's the fourth benefit. And the fifth benefit that we finish with is the greatness of the mercy of the Lord of the worlds with his believing servants. With his believing servants. If you look, and we've mentioned this in previous lessons as well, that look at all of the ways and means that Allah has made for His believing servants, how they can remove punishment from themselves. Ash-Shafa'ah is just one of them. And we see that as Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, uh, that you know, there, are, there are ten ways and means by which a servant his sins are expiated, his sins are removed. And you know, so from them are those which come from the servant himself, the things that you do yourself, which are istighfar, asking for forgiveness, a tawbah, number two, seeking repentance from Allah. Number three, righteous deeds, which expiate your evil deeds. All of these are deeds that you do yourself. And then there are deeds that other people do. Not, you, don't, you don't even do them. Other people do them and they can benefit you. So from them is the dua of other people for you, which benefits you. Also there are certain actions they can do that 
whose reward can be given to you, like for example an Umrah, like for example a Sadaqah, a charity and other things of that nature. And uh, you know, likewise the funeral prayer, the, the Salatul Janazah, which is again a type of, uh, type of uh, al-du'a. So things which come from another person. Then there are the calamities in the life of this world. There are three types of calamities. The calamities you have in this life, the stress, the anxiety, the grief, the physical pain, the illness, the death of near people, the loss of wealth, the loss of you know, limb, things like that. All these are calamities which are purifying you and removing your sins. Likewise, the calamities in the grave, the trial of the grave, the, pu- the questioning of the grave, the punishment of the grave, that will purify you before you, get, before you are raised on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Then on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, there will be trials and tribulations and you know, things that will also expiate your sins. And then from those ways and means, is, 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 is from the second category earlier, is Ash-Shafa'ah. Ash-Shafa'ah, Allah has made that as a means to save His believing servants from the hellfire. And then after all of that is done, after all of these nine ways and means in the world, in the Barzakh and in the hereafter are finished and done, there will still be left the pure mercy of Allah Azawajal, in the sense that for no reason, for none of the other reasons, just purely out of His mercy, He will take out whoever is left in the hellfire, from whom, as we see some texts, that there isn't even an atom's weight of good with those people. But there were people of Tawheed, they will take them out. So this is all from the pure mercy of Allah. So the final benefit that we take from this hadith is the vastness of the mercy of Allah, the Lord of the worlds, with his believing servants. So with that, we'll conclude our lesson there for today, inshallah ta'ala. And we have left with us a remaining, uh, that was hadith number 31. And so we have nine hadiths left. Inshallah, perhaps we can finish them in the next lesson inshallah because a lot, of, a lot of them are very short and many of them are kind of like a repeat of what we've already uh, covered previously so hopefully we'll try and finish this treatise in the next lesson inshallah walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in